Tonight, the North Korean hackers going even further. This was just the latest in a series of leaks. 143 million Americans, one of the largest cyber attacks in this country's history. Estimated losses from these breaches in excess of $20 billion. Hello and welcome back to Decrypted, a cybersecurity podcast for the everyday American. I'm your friendly neighborhood cyberman, Jacob Basaya, and I'm joined by my cyber partner in crime, as always. Dayton Williams, it is so good to be here, Jacob. So, I'm going to ask you a question, Jacob. What is really lost during a data breach? Well, data, obviously. But depending on the data, the losses can be very different. If it's personal information, there's a loss of privacy. If it's national security related, there's, well, a loss of safety and security. And if it's really private pictures, then, well, there's a loss of dignity. Whichever kind of data is lost during a data breach, and these previous examples are not mutually exclusive exclusive as they flow into one another, a uniting loss between them is a loss of reputation. Data breaches are embarrassing for the companies that suffer through them. If the corporate breaches are extensive enough and impact enough consumers, the loss of reputation can be disastrous on a company's bottom line. But, you know, don't just take my word for it. On average, the Marriott, Equifax, and Yahoo breaches caused an average drop of 7.5% in stock value apiece. That is an average market cap loss of about $5.5 billion for each of those. A study by Bitglass, which is a cloud security company, found that it took about 46 days, roughly, for the stock price to return for their pre-breach levels. So what is a company to do to regain one of the trickiest and most elusive of capitalist treasures? The loss of consumer trust. Well, they do public relations. They communicate. What good are better firewalls or more comprehensive scanning if there's not an effective way for companies to better communicate the value of security to their consumers? In that way, cybersecurity and public relations actually have a lot in common. Cybersecurity is about managing risk, and public relations is about managing information. Despite popular convention, technology actually involves a lot of talking. You know, and it's not just covering for breaches either, where, you know, obviously good PR is important to companies. Good security is good marketing. A Deloitte study found that about 80% of consumers are more likely to purchase goods or services from a company that had a reputation for protecting personal data. And we famously see this play out during this decade. After Target's breach in December of uh, 2014, shoppers largely opted to buy from other superstores. The January before the breach, target consumer traffic included 43% of U.S. households. In the month after the breach, the traffic dropped to 33%. That's a huge drop. And, well, what did Target end up doing? Firstly, the company offered free credit monitoring and identity theft protection to every one of their customers, as well as reimburse up to 10 grand to consumers who could produce evidence that they suffered from the breach. Granted, they were forced to by law, but still. Secondly, Target pushed for chipped cards and PIN usage, as well as reevaluating its supply chain that caused the breach. And lastly, they offered an apology day, where everything was 10% off in their stores. CEO Greg W. Steinhoffel even went on CNBC and took responsibility, saying on television that Target is accountable for the breach. Well, we're in the middle of a criminal investigation, as you can appreciate, and we can only share so much. Um, but as time goes on, we are going to get down to the bottom of this. We are not going to rest until we understand what happened and how, how that happened. Clearly, we're accountable and we're responsible. But we're going to come out at the end of this a better company, and we're going to make significant changes. I mean, that's, that's what you do when you go through a period like this. You have, to, you have to learn from it, and you have to apply those learnings, and we're committed to do that. 
Well, it's been about six years since Target's huge data breach, and 2019 has been a really good year for Target. In fact, their stock is a couple bucks short of their all-time high and bucking the trend of retail downturn in the face of Amazon. Did Target's strategy work, or did customers just forget? Maybe it was just savvy marketing afterwards. Who's re it's really hard to say, but what we do know is we can't deny how much managing breaches is not just a technical challenge, but a public relations challenge as well. So let's talk now with Tom to get a little bit better sense about what communicating is like in cybersecurity. My name is Tom Resaw. I'm a senior vice president here at W2 Communications and work out of our headquarters in McLean, Virginia. Tom, thank you so much for joining me. Um, so Tom, I have a lot of questions for you. You uh, sort of described your career as being a cyber PR firm, or at least partially your work involves being a cyber PR firm. Could you speak a little bit about what that is? Sure. I have worked in the cybersecurity field for many, many years, uh, just over 20 years. Uh, my job is serving as the leader of our firm's cybersecurity and privacy practice. Uh, I work at W2 Communications. We are a national communications consultancy uh, working with technology companies. So we represent and counsel tech companies of all shapes and sizes across industries, you know, satellite communications, networking, business software, uh, but cybersecurity is, is a large practice area of ours, and that's the, that's the group that I lead. And I, it's, I, I really enjoy working with companies in these areas to help them tell their story, build their brands, work on lead gen campaigns, help them with content strategies to just get their name and story and capabilities out there in this very crowded and noisy market space. So a big part of this, as you've already described, is with communication. Do you find that with regards to cyber and I guess to tech, the tech field in general, do you feel that it is communicated well? Or where do you find that people struggle? How could this sort of area be improved? I think communications is something that every business in every sector struggles with a little bit. Mm. And it's pretty profound of late when you look at the cybersecurity landscape. Just most recently, a few months ago at, at, at Black Hat, you had Jeff Moss, the dark tangent, you know, famously behind Black Hat, uh, come out and say that so much of security boils down to communications. And that was a part of his keynote remarks. And I thought that was really profound. And it certainly hit home for me because I think when you look at cybersecurity, it is all about communications. Cybersecurity, data privacy are these issues where we love to jump into the ones and zeros mm. and the software and the exploits and malware and the latest countermeasures. And that's all important. But at the end of the day, how are we communicating risk to the board? How are we empowering end users? How are we explaining what we found mm -hmm. in the industry and what people should do about it? How are we working with journalists and analysts and researchers? All of that boils down to communications. And I think that's lost on a lot of us because we get so hyper-focused on the minutiae. I would be inclined to agree. I think that there's generally been a culture of, you know, you look at the sort of more sexy product of like, oh, this is a device that's able to detect anomalies in your network using the most advanced AI uh, that is currently available. But in reality, we're seeing more, I, would you say it's more like a movement towards understanding that communication, both internal to your organization, understanding how all the aspects work towards security, but also between organizations, communication is becoming sort of the de facto defining what is a good cybersecurity strategy? Yeah, I think the communications issue is is a mile deep no matter how you take it. I think you've got bigger issues like information sharing and how do companies work together, industries work together, all the way to how do you as a security practitioner or a risk manager or just a concerned executive, as, as you should be in a company, how do you explain to security teams what your concerns are, what your team does? That dialogue is really crucial because... Ultimately, you want to get to a risk conversation where you're never going to be able to 
make the cyber risk go away, but you want to have a good informed set of discussions and evolving policies you can revisit with your team so that you understand, I have remote workers, that means I have this risk, but I, I can't say no more remote workers, mm. so I need to be able to acceptably adjust and, and, and mitigate that risk. Before I dive down more into the rabbit hole of the difficulties of communication, I'd actually like to step a little bit back and cover something that we've actually talked before on the podcast. We've attempted before to define cybersecurity, uh, but you know, you're talking a lot about cybersecurity and risk, and these words are often even used interchangeably at times. Mm. Would you mind, you know, just giving me some degree of a definition, you know, of how how you would define it, and perhaps even the clients that you work with, how they might define cybersecurity or risk differently? This is a really good question. I think cybersecurity is one of those terms that has really evolved and has grown um, so much more mainstream versus its roots. And you know, some people in the industry will, will talk about when they'll say, well, we used to call it information security or digital security or information assurance if we came out of the government. And I think now it's just cyber. You know, I think once we had CSI cyber, we sort of accepted that there's no going back and <laughs> cyber is mainstream. We now have the cyber truck. So I think for a lot of people, cybersecurity just has the connotation of you know digital risk, risks with computers, portable media, electronics, websites, all of those kinds of ephemeral things where it's not the physical security, which is its own category and locks and doors and things, cameras and such, but it's like, who can use that camera? Where does the data go? And so I think cybersecurity has come to be a big bucket, a catch-all for a lot of those issues. Uh, but I've actually really taken to the cyber risk um, nomenclature of late because I think that's really important. You, you want to have a risk conversation. I think cybersecurity can be a little off-putting when you start going down the road of you know, firewalls versus ICS and threat intelligence and anti-malware and endpoint and all these things mobile. And, and sometimes that can be a little awkward to kind of dig into based on the audience, but everyone can relate to risk. Mm -hmm. We all face risks every day. We all have risks in business that are non-technical. There's you know, financial risk. We're having a new joint venture. We're opening shop in this country. It's a risk. There's, there, there's opportunity costs. Uh, so I really enjoy cyber risk as a good way to kind of start conversations about what are the business's concerns, what are the threats out there, and then you usually end up in a conversation about some of these safeguards, you know, countermeasures, things mm -hmm. we can use to enforce policies, and that's where you know, some of those key tried and true cybersecurity market categories come in. Do you think having the delineation of a cyber risk versus like a financial risk is a useful one? Do you think that just using like the term cyber is, is useful for us defining things or should we be just clarifying or should we just be defining everything as risk and cyber is an element of, of like all risk? That's another really interesting question. I think what's probably most helpful in this day and age is is pulling all of those risks together into a single you know, meeting portfolio dashboard dialogue with executives and with other experts. Uh, you know, when I've had the privilege to speak to the occasional board member or, you know, go to an event where a senior non-technical executive is talking about cyber risk, what, what she or he often says is the, these issues come to us in parallel. Mm -hmm. So we're, 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 we're enlisting a third party to build a mobile app that our sales force says we need to have. That's taking on third-party risk. Mm -hmm. So who is going to help us vet that service provider? It can't be only the cybersecurity team. We're, we're going to have to have input from the sales team, from the people driving that content that that third party is going to be uh, you know, servicing in this app. So I think the best answer is probably for senior decision makers to get all of this combined in a sense just so that they're not reinventing the wheel from the standpoint of we've created a risk tolerance 
process mitigation vehicle that we're using to run our company, oh, wait, now we have to include cyber risk. We're going to create a silo. We're going to do a parallel track. I think at the end of the day, cyber just becomes inextricable with all the other risks. What do you think is the biggest difficulty, continuing with our terminology of using cyber, what do you think the biggest difficulty is with uh, communicating issues about cyber? For all of cybersecurity's mainstream coverage, uh, appeal, noise today, I think it's still very hard to make tangible. I'll never forget when I was at Symantec, one of my favorite career moments is I had an opportunity to work with a, a frontline documentary crew, PBS, and they came in and they said, we want to see cybersecurity. And this was 2003, 2004, so they were really ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, g I gave them a tour with some colleagues of Symantec's Managed Security Services Operations Center, and they walk in and it's just this big room of blinking lights, you know, servers, analysts triaging alerts and clicking. And aside from the clicking, it was very, very quiet. And they and so the crew said, wow, so we're looking at cybersecurity. And we kind of laughed. And that makes it tangible in a sense, but you're still not seeing what does this look like? You know, mm -hmm. someone clicks on an email, they download something, there's malware that uh, activates and is doing certain things. So I think we're always going to benefit from creative people. And this is certainly what we what we deal with firsthand here at W2 Communications is we work with our clients and our graphic designers and our creative artists and our, and our writers to help companies literally articulate this and mm -hmm. visualize this. Because when you come up with a new technology or frame of reference for, for tackling some kind of cyber risk, you have to explain it because the audience is going to have instant questions about, well, how will this integrate with my other security investments? How will this help me? How will it help non-cyber stakeholders in my organization? The end users who are just trying to use their devices, the executives who want to be able to say, we've ratcheted down on needless risk that much more. Um, so I think communications is still really important in that sense because we've all seen this and joked about it and, and have heard, heard people say it very seriously, a lot of these cybersecurity companies look the same from 30,000 feet. Yeah, especially from an outsider. I think the domain of technology in general has historically sort of been, they don't want to really show you exactly how things are working historically. I, would, I think that's a fair statement. Would you agree? It is a fair statement. Um, I agree with you in that cybersecurity can be a little uh, off-putting to people that are just kind of beginning to follow the industry. I think the the biggest change I've seen in cybersecurity from an industry perspective is years ago, you had very defined market categories. You had intrusion prevention system vendors, you had firewall vendors, you had the antivirus companies, you had a few years ago, anti-spam, anti-malware, excuse me, anti-spyware. Mm. You know, those were like you know, Webroot, Sunbelt. Those were like the you know crowd strikes and the fire eyes of their day. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, the coverage of that sector, it, it reminds me a lot of how sports teams were covered. You mm -hmm. know, journalists and, and, and the, you know, press junkets at RSA, they would look at those companies and say, well, what does Symantec have coming up? What does McAfee have coming up? What's the new firewall play? IDS versus IPS, intrusion detection versus intrusion prevention. And, and that was kind of the news cycle. And obviously that's quaint and comical in hindsight because that's been completely obliterated today, not just by a news cycle of, of, of current events, but the sheer growth in complexity of the cyber landscape. You look at how many companies are in services today, products today, fields like cloud and mobile. No one can cover the industry the way they did in the late 90s, you know, early 2000s when I started in this field. And so I think it's good in the sense that everyone's becoming more more uh, sophisticated, more acclimated. We're, we're, we're finding new ways to develop companies. 
it's a challenge in that there's only so many hours in the day. Again, back to that noise and kind of articulation challenge. How do you explain what you do and get that across to all those critical audiences? In this sort of sea of strategies and technologies and different cyber products, do you think that the image of cybersecurity or the image you're presenting of security is almost more important than the security service you're offering just in general? The question of image in cybersecurity is really, really important. When you, when you think about, you know, traditionally, this is not an industry that has had any room for snake oil or people who can't deliver what they're saying. I mean, when you think about industries where credibility makes or breaks you, I mean, cybersecurity is right, right there up at the top, you know, probably up there with medicine. Um, it's, 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 it's a very sophisticated, high-stakes industry. And if your product doesn't work, if you can't do what you say you do, word gets around, it's a small community, you're going to be washed out. Um, that said, it's, it's also a community that loves to debate and loves to come up with new frameworks, illustrations, terms, um, and, and, and deposition other terms. Um, so someone comes up with a new technology for this and others will say, well, that's just what we did 15 years ago, but now it's in the cloud. And, and it's not that there's anything wrong on either side. It's just, again, how are we perceiving and understanding what this company or group of serial founders and their investors purport to do? Um, fortunately, I think cybersecurity is an industry that is very, very attuned to use cases. So I think when there's initial ambiguity about what a company's doing, what the startup has come up and, and, and said they can do, just get to that use cases. How is it going to help stop fraud in my call center? How is it going to protect remote workers? How is it going to make sure that the cloud and third-party risk mm -hmm. don't send me back to 1999 <laughs> in, in terms of being able <laughs> to, to control my environment and, 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 and control the risk? And so I think that sometimes, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for, for use cases being the foundation of telling your story in cybersecurity because many, many more people will relate and, and, and click your press release and come to your talk and chat with you about use cases uh, and your sincere views there versus I've got a hypervisor-enabled 2.6 widget for this. and That's not going to connect to anybody. No, no, it's not. It's not. So... A lot of these cyber forums, a lot of cyber companies are pretty fixated on their image. You know, it's a lot of sound and fury. There's a lot of, you know, noise about trying to stand out a lot of times using many buzzwords that are very common to the industry. Why do you think that there's this sort of hyper fixation on image for these cyber companies rather than simply like a measure of their product against another product? I think a lot of the image race in cybersecurity day really comes down to competition in, in the industry, and I think everyone's recognition that this is one of the hot sectors of the past, you know, 20 or so years. It's just, it only gets more and more important. Uh, you know, when I used to give tours at Symantec and other previous jobs, the big threats we would talk about would be threats to the retail season or, you know, threats to medical records and credit card breaches, docs, medical records, so yesterday, right? <laughs> now we're talking about our cars getting hacked and election interference. So the stakes keep getting higher. There are more and more newly minted cybersecurity companies. And I think at a certain level, they're all trying to one-up each other in terms of claims, content, uh, social media activity, you know, press releases, speaking opportunities. They're, they're all trying to get their message out there. And they're all engaging journalists. They're all holding events. They're all doing things like... You know, webcasts and, and, and those kinds of things. And so 
I th- again, it's good, and that's never been able to. It, it, it's never been easier to consume all this information. And today, with technology, it's never been easier for you to create your own platform as 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 a company. As a communication strategist, what I take away from this is it's never been more important to have a plan mm. and have an integrated strategy, so that instead of just trying to live life off the rearview mirror and constantly keep an eye on your competitors and do whatever they're doing, you have a plan. And that's what I enjoy most about working with my colleagues here and our clients is building these integrated plans where from a social perspective, from an events perspective, you know, only so many hours in the day to blog, film, podcast, create content. What are we really saying? Uh, And I think regardless of whether, you know, companies work with their communicators in-house or an outside agency like ours, that's not as important as them just having a plan. And, 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 and for communicators to, to, to forge that plan, work with the product team, work with the founders, work with the researchers to really have a cadence and activities that those companies can march to. Otherwise, I think you struggle to say, here's what we set out to do, here's where we are, and how are we being perceived uh, among the audiences that are most important to us, whether that's customers, investors, potential go-to-market partners, what have you. So how does a listener, this is a harder question, I'm sorry to put it on you, but how does a listener cut through sort of the news cycle of cybersecurity? You know, you already kind of alluded to it, how it, you know, in the past it was more concerned about credit card numbers being stolen, uh, like ages ago with like Target, there was a breach with that. But, you know, it's moved on to things like election security or car hacking. How do you keep up to date with, unfortunately, I have to describe it as the more mundane aspects of cybersecurity that have tremendous impact that maybe aren't as a sexy as a topic for like an example that I would say that probably the average person doesn't think about is cloud security. Incredibly important. I think anyone in technology or security would tell you that's incredibly important, but the average person is probably not thinking about the significance of the Jedi contract or anything like that. Uh, we've talked a little bit about that before here, so hopefully the audience is familiar, but I'll add a little bit of a description about that a little bit later. But the consequences of like cloud security, how do, how do you communicate that? These more sort of mundane aspects of cybersecurity. Yeah. The news cycles in cybersecurity are are just off the charts. I, I really cannot stress that enough. And and for those of us that have been in the industry, whether we're writing the press releases, organizing events, you know, covering the industry, some of my friends in journalism and then the research community, I mean, can it get any bigger? And the scary answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think if you're just looking at cybersecurity news cycles. At a high level, it, it is overwhelming, mm-hmm. and and it, it's like merging onto a freeway where the the cars are just going 100 miles an hour. I think the challenge is when you take a step back, you can see essentially what I would say are two strains of stories, and one strain of stories I think in the news cycle is sort of state of the art. Like, what are these new threats to some of these new connected platforms that we have? Now our cars are computers. Now our buildings are computers. Now our mobile phones, because they're with us, present all sorts of new risks. And so I think on on one side, there's, again, very broad terms here, but I think there's there's a big news cycle about new threats and kind of where is the state of the art in risk. And then I think another uh, major aspect of the news cycle are just the ramifications of this playing out. You know, breaches are not new, but what happens when it hits OPM? You know, mobile... Spyware is not new. What happens if it becomes implicated in an insider trading scheme or an assassination somewhere horribly or or some other kind of dramatic event? So I think we're simultaneously learning about a lot of new risks, and we're also learning in these news cycles about how 
companies, organizations, government agencies, really anyone is just battered by the potential of these risks every day. And we keep seeing these new examples. You know, third-party breaches are a great example. I think that really was in its own category a few years ago. And now third-party risk, third-party breaches are, are a thing. Uh, you put a little snippet on your, of code on your website as a, as a chatbot that gets breached. Now every site using that bot can potentially be exposed. So again, these are things where they're the issues I like to discuss with you know, global sourcing professionals, business executives. These are the things they now have to factor into their calculus because picking a go-to-market partner, picking an infrastructure host, picking someone to design my logo, mm-hmm. frankly, these are now cyber-related challenges, right? They, they have cyber dimensions to them. So I think the news cycle is always going to be overwhelming. I've, I've probably had, you know, more stories dropped in the green room, pause while we covered this breaking in the past few years than I have <laughs> in my entire career. Uh, you know, and that just happens. And, you know, a huge salute to, just from a journalism perspective, huge salute to everyone in journalism covering this because you not only have to stay on top of what's happening, you have to be able to discern like what matters here? How am I going to break this down to my readers? Is this an entirely new screenplay or is this a sequel to what keeps hammering companies? And it's frankly alarming that companies in mass have not gotten ahead of this yet. Yeah, cyber news is quickly simply becoming news in and of itself. And it unfortunately requires a journalist to wear many hats in order to even effectively report on it, which is quite difficult. Um, You've already sort of touched on a question I wanted to ask, but I want to continue with it anyway. It's about the nature of breaches, which I think is probably the most popular thing to talk about in cyber news. So, you know, breaches can have major implications. How do you guys deal with the presentation of breaches? Like, how do you frame a breach for like a cyber PR firm? How would they frame that? From a communications perspective, when you're dealing with a breach situation, you know, certainly if it's if it's an incident that affects you as a company, so like me as an executive, let's just say hypothetically in a scenario, I think the 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 communications have never been more high stakes or critical. I think mostly become mostly because we as a society have become used to these breaches in a sense where they're not really taboo or esoteric or hey, my audience won't understand this. What happened again in the cyber breach? Um, we know what the best practices are. You want to be forthright, honest. You want to tell the truth as quickly as you can. Get information out there. Uh, even if a company is, for example, working with law enforcement or has some things going on behind the scenes, you know, certainly working with those agencies, you can still fashion communications. And I've been on several of these, you know, 3 a.m. phone calls in my career where this happened. Here's what we know we're going to have to begin communicating this to the market. And what I recommend every company do is just have a plan. Have, I mean, most companies that I've worked with have a crisis communications plan, a manual, if you will. And within that manual are different scenarios. Data breaches, <laughs> data breach is a page that has been added to many, many playbooks, along with things like you know, allegations of criminal activity, recalls, you know, physical incidents, all those kinds of things. And I think it's just you want to practice that playbook page and you want to continually you want to continually reevaluate who your stakeholders are because in companies today you have a lot of turnover, executives come and go, product lines come and go. Uh, you want to make sure that you have a good roster of key folks that can be pulled into those conversations when something happens. 
It's a good thing to say. Uh, the you, we were already kind of discussing a little bit before how breaches can be presented differently by sort of different sort of quote unquote technology firms as mm-hmm. as a more traditional technology firm would probably uh, be more like up to date with how you just described how to handle a breach. But many firms that were not like traditionally considered a technology firm, perhaps they design airplanes, would probably have a different sort of strategy for the breaches and they may not communicate it as properly. But it, I think based off what you've just said, you know, they have this they need to also have these clear sort of plans for what happens with a breach. And not all we're not always thinking about uh, ramifications of cyber incidents if it's not our primary business. If our primary business isn't technology, we're not always focused on that. The question of how you handle breach communications based on your company's industry sector, for example, is is a really interesting one. In my career, I've worked with certainly cybersecurity companies, and they're not immune from this happening, and they're very mature, very cognizant of, of the pace of time and how quickly you have to jump on that. I've also had the privilege of, of working in and around uh, you know, companies in sectors like energy and uh, aerospace, where those may not be old line, quote unquote, technology or cybersecurity companies, but they have outstanding preparedness and exacting attention to detail when it comes to safety, you know, process control, regulatory issues. And so my sense is, my experience is, they approach cybersecurity through that lens a little bit. So how does this impact you know, our federal certifications, our uh, you know, mandates to disclose cer- certain things in, in certain frameworks? Could this become a safety issue? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I am sure they are confronting this new reality as, as, as best as any company can in that everything's connected to the internet and all of my products are now IT products, whether I realize it or not. Uh, but fortunately, their strength is just different. You know, they, they have, in, in my experience, very tight-knit you know, intra-industry collaboration. So the automakers talk to each other, the airplane makers talk to each other, the energy firms talk to each other. That's a strength. I think it just becomes the challenge every company faces of what happened, how do we how do we pull these threads out to figure out was it a third party issue, was it an internal issue, what's the exposure, what can we what should we responsibly tell consumers? And how do we maintain these communications so that our audiences know where to come for updates and, and don't feel like we're you know, stonewalling them or just letting things lie. Yeah, I mean, just from talking with you, it seems pretty obvious that communication and connection in this industry is, a, a, frankly, essential for all op- for all operations of it. And kind of jumping on that, you know, th- this is this particular connection that we have here. How I've come to talk to you today is through uh, sort of a connection between the industry, a social event that um, W two uh, coordinated. So that's how we ended up communicating and how we're able to share these opinions. So you know, having these sort of connections inter-industry is very helpful. But um, in particular, you know, I'd be remiss to not ask about, you know, the DC factor here. Uh, this is decrypted. Might as well talk about it a little bit. But uh, why do you think DC is so popular for cybersecurity in general? The Washington, D.C. area, as it relates to cybersecurity, is is really something. Um, and I'll be the first to say, I, I started my, my, my career here in, 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 in 1999 working in a, in, a, in a tech PR firm, and I wouldn't have associated D.C. as a, as a tech hotbed. I you know, took the first job out of college that I could get, uh, close to my parents, uh, and away we go. But I think it's always been a great community for, for technology. I mean, certainly you've got the government, you've got the, the tech regulatory agencies, FCC, you've got the law enforcement agencies, you've got the you know, military as part of the government. I think historically, when I look at the companies that I've worked in and represented here, and I've spent my whole career 
physically you know, working in this area. I think for years it was like the claims to fame for DC and tech are excellent talent pool, good kind of you know, steady, steady, you know, kindling fire of, of skilled professionals from government contracting and some major corporations that had data centers and offices here. And I think that's still all true. But mm-hmm. today, you know, you've got the Amazon factor. You've got the, the huge, you know, data center providers all over Northern Virginia. You've got a lot of people who are coming here not because they're necessarily looking for a great cyber hotbed. They're just looking for all those amenities to to build a company or relocate their their company's you know, technology uh, center of excellence. So I think in some ways, more and more people have become kind of clued into what makes the Washington area unique. And it's great when you see a company have a high profile exit around here or, uh, you, you know, we continually see a lot of our clients, uh, experts who happen to be here, uh, become, you know, very vocal uh, experts for the company and, and and talk about the team here and what they do. And to me, it all just speaks highly of the Washington region. It also has the uh, kind of ready-made clients already there. You have the biggest one, of course, federal government. But, you know, for providing security, you have people like Amazon. You have the businesses that are already providing services to the government. They all need to be secured. So you have a big base here that is just ready for it and definitely need the security based off the nature of their work. But do you think that uh, not being in D.C. is a detriment to sort of cyber firms? Do you think you could still operate outside of D.C.? I don't think I would say that, that not being in D.C. is, is, is a major detriment. Um, you know, certainly, and certainly our, our firm is a great example. I, I would say, just thinking out loud, most of our clients are, are not local. They're not in D.C. They're from places like Silicon Valley, uh, you know, Austin, uh, other, other tech hubs across the country. You know, many of them will have a government office here mm-hmm. or they'll have you know, certainly some of their researchers or other experts that work remote and, and are based here. So I think they still benefit from the D.C. area community amenities to some degree. They project an image here. Absolutely. And, and of course, you know, many of our, of, our, of our clients across our, our client sectors, not just cybersecurity, uh, want to sell to the federal government. So they are you know, very attuned to having presence at these government events and kind of really doing as much as they can to, to engage with that community. Um, but I think if you, if you overlook DC, you're, you're definitely making a mistake. I mean, there, there are some obviously great attributes that the community has. I think what I enjoy a great deal are just some of the unique communications uh, activities that are here. Um, just recently, uh, myself, one of my colleagues presented on a, on a panel at the uh, British Embassy about our work with, with UK startups uh, and, and larger UK companies, for that matter, that want to move into the United States and expand their presence here. So what have we done with them from a communications perspective? And that was a panel for a cohort of uh, smaller scale UK tech companies uh, in, in, in cybersecurity. So you know, that was a real thrill. And, 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 and that's what you benefit from if you're in this area. You can, you can network with the embassy folks and cross-border trade issues. You can go to regulatory events. You can go to a lot of these great, um, you know, communications and, and events that, you know, wait for it, have cybersecurity panels and, <laughs> and tracks and are dealing with risk kinds of issues. Uh, and, and that, I think, is a nice circuit of, of, of content and events that DC has that you're not going to get in San Francisco or Austin um, or Seattle as, as, as great as those regions are uh, in other ways. Well, I'm certainly biased on this. I mean, the podcast is called Decrypted, (laughs) DC, very heavily focused there. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your time. You've really illuminated some of the difficulties of communicating in cybersecurity. It was really a pleasure to have you on. Well, 
Thanks so much, Jacob. Appreciate it. Well, that conversation with Tom was really excellent. I think one of the best takeaways is how communication isn't just something, you know, between your PR and, and, you know, the outside world, it's it's intra-company, you know, it's, it's important to have good communication lines in actually developing a cybersecurity strategy if you're actually going to execute that properly. Right. And I think a lot of times what can happen in big organizations and big agencies is that critical, important security information is kept close to the chest, right? Mm -hmm. And I think intrinsically a lot of cybersecurity type people are are secretive people are people who want to protect data but a lot of times to uh, mitigate risk and to challenge vulnerabilities you have to share that information which can be really hard sometimes right we're seeing sort of a development of new norms with regards to you know breach disclosure and sort of privacy within this kind of domain and i think it's overall more healthy to be more open about these sort of things as frankly i think at this point people are realizing that everyone is being attacked constantly there's going to be breaches and it's better to be as overt as possible and to be as responsive as possible to have that plan in place to actually execute something after you hit get hit Right. And I think so, like I think you're you're totally right that there's that culture of change and I think the stigma of breaches is has blunted a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean it's certainly still there, but yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but we're, it's not we're, like, it's more commonplace now. Right, exactly, exactly. It's not super humiliating. But it's still humiliating. I, I don't want to face I don't want to focus entirely on breaches. I want to also talk about sort of the economic impact of uh, I guess having to market in a cybersecurity workplace, you know, where you're trying to sell your tool. It's very important to you know, it's really important to have that name, you yeah. know, the, the brand recognition, you're fighting against so many different products. You're fighting against big established companies that can just shell out like a product without having to worry about the cost too much. You know, your reputation and your image in the field is almost as important as the product you're offering, if mm. not as important. Right. Exactly. You don't want to buy a lock from a company that sells locks and it's brittle and breaks, or at least has a reputation of being brittle and breaks. No, I certainly not. And you know, it's one of those matters of, you know, this podcast is based in DC. You know, this itself is a kind of a, it's a big aspect of working in DC. You know, a lot of these people as, as Tom had pointed out, uh, have some sort of, you know, facility or person representing their interest in DC as, you know, just an aspect of the biggest part of the communication for this industry is with DC. Yeah. I guess the closing thoughts that I want to dwell on are, you know, we've, we've, driven home the difficulty of communicating in this field this whole podcast exists because of the difficulty of communicating in this field but what's really fascinating is with tom and with others it's fun to see how each of them sort of define cybersecurity. and tom in particular you know he he worked with a couple different ways of, of discussing the subject matter based off sort of the audience which i think is a useful way of doing it but you know as we continue to uh delve into the subject matter it's interesting to see how the term continues to evolve you know we saw this in our first episode but you know, it changes and, you know, it, it still has usage, even though it can be having a lot of meaning and having no meaning at sometimes. Right, exactly. So, you know, we're looking for some more sort of philosophical content coming up. I think our next episode will be quite exciting. We're also going to be talking a little bit about definitions, but I think we're going to be talking mostly about a subject everyone's keen on, artificial intelligence. Ooh. So if you're interested in hearing about that next episode, um, be sure to turn into the next episode of Decrypted. Follow us on Twitter. And, you know, be sure to post questions if you have anything or suggest possible guests. We're happy to take those uh, suggestions. All right. We'll catch you around the next time. Decrypted is based upon work supported by the National Science Foundation under grant number 1433425 for the CyberCorps program at the George Washington University. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this material are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of the National Science Foundation.